You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance in your life, go to naturalstacks.com. As always, if you find this, this episode interesting, fascinating, share it. Share it with your family, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps us immensely to get this word out, and we're here for you. We're here to share this information so that you can uh, have as many resources as possible to live an optimized life. And as always, this this show was accompanied by show notes at naturalstacks.com where you can find links and videos and studies and all sorts of stuff. And I'm really excited for today's guest. Uh, For the last decade, family physician Dr. Joe Tefer and author of The Fellowship of the River have been exploring the role of spiritual healing in modern healthcare. Joe is a fascinating, fascinating guy who travels around the world talking about uh, plant medicines and spiritual healing as well as uh, having an actual family practice uh, in Arizona. And I have had the honor of sitting in ceremony and actually going through uh, an ayahuasca ceremony, three actually, uh, with with Joe, with Dr. Tafur, uh, as I traveled southward to work with him. And uh, I'll tell you guys, it was massive. But this is not about me. This is about you, Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe, thanks for thanks for coming today, man. Thank you very much for having me. So let's just start with the basics. Let's just let's let's just uh, start from step one because I know that our listeners uh, will probably have heard of ayahuasca but maybe not understand the depth and the uses and the traditional, uh, the traditional uses of it. So let's start with what is ayahuasca and, and how do people use it? Ayahuasca is a tea. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. Ayahuasca is a tea. Um, so it's made from a vine named ayahuasca. That's, the, that's a Peruvian name for this uh, tea that's, that's drunk throughout the Amazonian region. Um, it's regarded as a sacred plant medicine in general. In Peru, for example, it's mixed from uh, this ayahuasca vine cooked together with an additive plant, for example, uh, chacruna, which is Psychotria viridis. And so those two plants are cooked together in a tea. And that creates this uh, very psychoactive beverage that has uh, you know, psychedelic properties but is regarded traditionally as a spiritual healing medicine. And so it's used uh, traditionally in ceremony for spiritual healing. And then that now has um, been shared with the larger world. And so it's being used to treat people for a number of problems, a lot of them kind of regarded as mental health problems, showing a lot of promise in the treatment of things like depression and anxiety and PTSD and, and addiction. Which are regarded, you know, and I think by the traditional cultures as, as forms of spiritual illness. So 
that's the basics. It's being used more widely in a lot of different settings. There's a it's being it's been used for a very long time, as far as we know, throughout the entire South American Amazonian rainforest by a number of different tribes and a number of different traditions, and has also given rise to syncretic churches in Brazil, where there's kind of a Christian element mixed in to uh, to um, ayahuasca sacramental use. So that's some basics. Yeah, and you've been you've been involved uh, at a, at a, at the ground level. You know, you uh, can you tell a little bit about uh, about how you? We'll, we'll, we're going to dive into the book because we've we've talked a lot about the content in the book, and there's so much in it that I think people are going to be um, really excited to learn about. But you've you've been, I mean, like you helped found a center. Can you tell us a little bit? Sure. Back, back us way up. How, how did you? How did a, a medical doctor find his way into becoming also a shaman? And just to walk us through that. Sure, sure. So I just want to clarify this from what you said earlier. I'm, I mean, I'm not currently uh, running my own family practice in Arizona. I have been doing a lot of temp work in family medicine, so I don't, I don't have my own practice. But I'm, I'm getting considering getting involved in some private practice here. But I've been doing primarily work with other agencies as a medical doctor here in Arizona prior to that in California um, as a family medicine doctor. But I, as a family medicine doctor, got interested in shamanism through this long road, which involved me being interested in in spiritual healing and being interested in alternative medicine before going to medical school, then deciding to go to medical school or getting the opportunity to go to medical school and entering um, UCSD, School of Medicine, and then in that process, finding myself very depressed by, you know, what I feel like is the culture of, of the situation and the education system and semi-traumatized. And, you know, as I report in the book, something like 2016, I think, well, it was reported that, that one-third of medical students are depressed. You know, and this is after things have su- supposedly improved to some degree as to where things were at before. And so... And in that depression, my father is a psychiatrist or was a psychiatrist, and I, I ended up turning to antidepressants, um, taking antidepressants for a brief period of time to see if it would help, and it did help me. But at that time, I was also exposed to a good friend of mine who was beginning a career in, in medical research, including uh, investigating psychedelics. You know, there's this new wave of psychedelic research that started in the 1990s and continues to grow. And during that time, I kind of learned that the antidepressants I was taking, these SSRIs, were very biochemically connected to the psychedelics and were the kind of medications that were being used for the same kind of problems, like the list of problems I just gave you, you know, things like addiction and PTSD and anxiety and depression are just kind of classic things that people try to treat with things like SSRIs, like Prozac and other related medications. And there's a strong biochemical relationship between them and the psychedelics. And you see the psychedelic medicines that are being investigated right now, things like MDMA and psilocybin uh, and previously, you know, LSD are, are being investigated for their potential clinical benefit in those kind of problems and related problems. And so I became exposed to that and being from Arizona and being somebody who was more interested in kind of natural healing and medicine, I decided to kind of stop that um, antidepressant and explore the possibility of, of going through treatment and ceremony with peyote, which is a cactus used traditionally in North America 
um, for spiritual healing and, and ceremonial use. And so I, I entered a peyote ceremony at the Peyote Way Church of God in Arizona, and I had a profound healing. You know, I really felt like a profound shift in my mental health and my reconnection to kind of my heart and to my senses and to my life and to the world and to nature in a way that kind of helped me let go of a lot of rumination that was kind of really making me suffer in my mind and kind of woke me up again to life and gave me the strength to continue and finish my medical training. So I went back to do peyote a few more times and was just so impressed by the potential for that kind of medicine. You know, peyote is a scarce resource and it's not necessarily the right answer for for solving the mental health problems of the United States, but it's something that's out there. And um, it was so impactful for me that it made me very curious about plant spirit medicine. And my family being from Colombia, I kind of had a growing curiosity of what was going on with ayahuasca. I'd heard about it. <clears throat> through family I had heard about it and then also I was getting exposed to this research and then there was a lot of talk about ayahuasca and this scene that kind of it started you know maybe in the 90s more people were going down to Peru places like Peru to to experience ayahuasca with traditional shamans and I began to read books like the cosmic serpent and DMT the spirit molecule and so over a period of time I just kind of knew that one day I wanted to try it and so I did peyote probably in 2001. Then I finished medical school, did family medicine residency. And so by 2006, I was done with everything and decided to go with a friend of mine, Kayvon, <clears throat> to the Amazon. He had done ayahuasca before, so he kind of reassured me that it would be all right. I was scared to go and do it. And so then I did. I went and I had an experience and it's kind of described in the book, this whole journey, the fellowship of the river where I just had a very profound experience and that left me wanting to continue to explore ayahuasca and I went back again and then I went back again and I started bringing people down because of the healing that I had observed as a doctor, the kind of problems I was seeing these shamans help was very uh, impressive because they were the kind of problems that I as a family medicine doctor knew that Western medicine was struggling with. But I was seeing people make really big gains through this traditional, uh, in this case, traditional Shipibo treatment, which it doesn't is not restricted to ayahuasca, involves an entire like uh, pharmacopoeia of of plant medicines, of which ayahuasca is one of them used uh, in ceremony. And I started bringing people down, and and through that process, I observed you know really profound healings with a lot of different people with inflammatory bowel problems and PTSD from Vietnam. And other issues, just more personal issues that were more subtle but still so important to people's lives emotionally and, and, and their relationship with themselves and with their friends and loved ones and family. And so then one of the shamans that I was working with at the other center uh, where I had been bringing people invited me to join him and a lady, Svita Mamich, who's a healer and an artist, to start a new center. So we started in 2011, uh, Niwerao Centro Espiritual which is a healing center set up to to receive, you know, um, as people say, some people don't like this term, but it doesn't really bother me that much. The ayahuasca tourists, you know, people who are coming down to experience ayahuasca. But in this case, it was it was more of a medical tourism. It's a healing center for people to come and experience deep healing at a retreat center um, outside of Iquitos, Peru, and 
I was involved there for as a business partner until the end of 2016. And so those are six to seven years technically and, and then still continue to consult for them and bring groups down there. And there, you know, observed hundreds of people um, go through really profound healing and then was encouraged to go through the training myself to be part of the, the treatment team there and not just outside of ceremony, but also within ceremony. And so Ricardo Maringo, my teacher, Shipibo, um, master of their culture, uh, the tradition of shamanism, you know, trained me. And I went through the traditional training to to join him and work in ceremony. And so that's the basic story. And so now I, I came back and I wrote a book about it, about my that journey, the personal journey of what that is. And then also a presentation of cases, you know, presenting 10 or 12 cases of, of the kind of problems that people weren't, you know, they had all been going to the doctors and the psychologists and just the Western treatment for extended amounts of time, some of them, and not really finding healing and then finding healing very rapidly in the Amazon. So I described those cases and a lot of interviews with those people and then kind of a scientific reflection on what maybe what kind of science uh, could bridge you know, uh, our understanding of what's happening with people down there and what is it about that kind of treatment that's helping people so much. So that's what the book is about. And, and that's kind of my journey and the stories that I'm, I'm going around talking to people about. Yeah. Yeah. The, a couple of points that I, that I'd like to touch on just really briefly is, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned, um, uh, DMT, the spirit molecule, and and I think right. it's I think it's important to point out to people that that the the active the, the psychoactive component of of the ayahuasca experience is dimethyltryptamine. Uh, can you yeah. can you elaborate? I want to elaborate on that because you know a lot of people are very focused on DMT and and kind of the reductionist Western view. It's kind of to some degree some people would consider ayahuasca just a you know primitive DMT delivery device which is, is very different, dramatically different from the traditional view. So it's true, like for sure, Chakruna, in the case of the ayahuasca I was describing, is the source of the DMT. And so when you more put more Chakruna in the ayahuasca, it is more visionary, it is more psychedelic. You know, that's true. So that's a big part of that experience. However, um, there is there are people who drink just pure ayahuasca vine um, preparations, and there are people who report visions and some degree of visionary experiences with just ayahuasca vine that being said in the tradition the healing power of the medicine is regarded is is uh they believe that ayahuasca vine is the main source of the healing power and dmt and the chakruna source of the visions are are there to support and illuminate that but they don't believe that that heals by Hmm. itself Ah. So that's a huge uh, distinction between the Western kind of attitude of like, oh, we're we're just doing DMT. That's the whole point of this. We don't, you know, we can do, we can smoke DMT and we don't have to throw up and get diarrhea and stuff like that. And, you know, these poor Indians, they don't know any better. So that's why they're doing it like that. And that's kind of the attitude of a lot of people. Whereas throughout the entire Amazon, and this includes like in Colombia, as it's called Yahe. Yahe is the tea, as it's described by some of the tribes in Colombia, is named for the vine. You know, in another uh, culture they call kapi, is named for the vine. You know, waska 
is named for the vine. And so, and then ayahuasca is named for the vine. So the vine is the central component. And now there's a lot of research going into, or more research going into the power held in the vine as pharmacologically, which is these, some of the things that have been determined are these harmines and harmalines and these compounds, which are known as monoamine oxidase inhibitors, but also seem to have these other really impressive um, properties, namely like this capacity to encourage neuroplasticity, this capacity to encourage uh, like neuroregeneration, you know, and these like mouse studies that it's actually really good for your brain. It's the same kind of way like lion's mane or something like that is interesting for uh, its potential to help people strengthen their brains or regain function in their brain or reopen their mind and restructure their mind that the ayahuasca vine itself would play a major role in that and that maybe some of its epigenetic effects could also be um, due to some of the harmines known epigenetic um, effects as well as far as these certain kind of uh, deacetylase de I gotta turn this off sorry problem <laughs> here um, so, you know, I think that's a big misunderstanding and because why it's the same kind of thing of a lot of people are smoking DMT and they're having big revelations and stuff, but then, you know, the kind of healing that to some degree involves like a visceral component that is provided by the ayahuasca, you know, that the ayahuasca vine is considered in the tradition as the healer. And it is the grandmother in the Shipibo tradition that that is the one that opens the portal to help you uh, get in touch with the plant world and plant spirits, not simply opening up a psychedelic experience. So there's, you know, there's a there's a big difference there. Yeah. As far as the traditional attitude, and and so one of the shamans I heard him say his attitude towards that was that you know things like LSD or you know just single molecule psychedelics and namely DMT. He's like, that's just the formula for the visions, but that doesn't have the spirit, you know, of the of the healing. And so there is something that goes on, and a lot of people swear by like their DMT experiences, and I, I think that's that's great. But I don't think you can make a direct comparison to uh, to ayahuasca. And in the same way that I don't think people would say, you know, in a similar thing, like they had a THC pure THC, uh, <laughs> right. you know, drug, Marinol, that was made available to patients when I was in medical school and during that time, and they wanted to smoke marijuana. They didn't want to take just pure THC. They didn't like the way it was very different for them. It wasn't the same experience. Similarly, you know, it's like you could have a this gourmet chocolate cake, or I guess you could just take a glucose molecule, <laughs> you know, right. and it's supposed to be the same thing, but obviously it's not. Right. So I think it's oversimplification. I think it's a I think it's a critical point, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you you made that distinction because I, for our listeners who are tinkerers and biohackers and interested in terms like um, you know neuroplasticity, they're gonna they're gonna connect with that. And mm -hmm. you know uh, this is I think a lot of listeners as well have had uh, personal experimentation and, and experiences with with uh, pro at least cannabis right and and probably a fair number who have experimented with psilocybin and it's not like you're even um eating the medicine or eating 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 some psilocybin you know taking a dose and walking around in the woods 
there's 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 value and in, in, in introspection and illumination from that. But the difference is is that you and the other shaman who have trained, who have understood this plant, who have understood the the power of uh, and the potential for spiritual healing, is that you guys are it's clinical. You're you're actually there sitting with people and and helping them through. Uh, this transformation and this and this work. It's not. It's not like here, eat this and trip out and good luck. You know, best happy trails. It's right. It's a. It's a. It's a clinical setting with someone who's experienced to help guide you through that process. Right. And so that's that's you know, and I I, I gave a talk. I was at this Australian conference, Entheogenesis Australis. And so you had this mix of like we are on this panel, and there was a mix of like the elder kind of like come the hippie generation who done LSD, they've done, you know, all that stuff. And, and then they see these, these young people coming with ayahuasca and saying they're shamans and stuff like that. And just feeling like they're just, it's just BS and underprepared and undertrained. And, you know, you don't need all that. Like you just, you know, just, they were just telling everybody, Hey man, forget that, you know, BS, just, take some LSD, you know, go somewhere alone and, and work it out, figure it out, smoke your DMT, you know, you can figure it out on your own. And, you know, that kind of thing, and just feeling like it was a lot of uh, mumbo jumbo, like the shamanism and people showing up to, with ayahuasca over there and making all these claims. And so I said to him, I was like, hey, you know what, I, I could see where you're coming from. And there's probably a lot of people coming over who are just underprepared and undertrained and who are overstating, you know, their capacity or their skill set. But I was like, don't don't miss the boat. You know, there's there is in fact like a very deep tradition of uh, of experience and training around these kind of plant medicines that that I think would surprise a lot of people as far as you know what what can be done. And you know, having worked at Anywhere Al for years and dealing with a lot of people with a lot of psychedelic experience, you know, who've been there, done that, they've done it all, they know it all. And then really blowing their minds, yeah, you know, and over and over again. And so then I would just say that that I get where they're coming from, you know, and and they should be skeptical about people claiming to be shamans and claiming to know something, you know, that they don't know and all that kind of stuff. That being said, it's like what I always say to people: it's I mean, it's a multi generational uh, pool of wisdom, and so it just it's it's just beyond what you're going to learn in one lifetime. Right, And that's just such a reality in every field. It's so smack in the face. So people don't need to be self-righteous about it. You know, there might be some backward stuff in the tradition, but it's like I tell people all the time, you know, the technology we're using right now to communicate with each other on the uh, computer, it was not developed in one lifetime, you know. Right. It was, it was not, like nowhere near it. It's never happened that uh, one human life has been enough to, contribute to like create this what we're looking at what we're using right now right and so the idea that multi-generational wisdom which you know in a in a counterculture psychedelic movement which has been kind of the root of american psychedelic activity you know where you don't it is about and some at least the, the original movement was in conflict with their parents and with the older generation and so this idea that it's like it's not a we don't want to share with the grandparents we don't want to look into our ancestry you know we want to we want to change we want to walk away from our past from our family from the culture start something new and so there is kind of some resistance to like looking into deeper roots 
and uh, deeper traditions. But I think that once they go down there, most people and they experience and they say stuff like that regularly. Wow, I feel like I'm listening to like thousands of years of wisdom. Yeah, you know, in the songs and getting exposed to something that that's perhaps a little little that they've been exposed to in other fields and the kind of technology they use, or maybe they listen to this kind of music, which has been built on many, you know, traditions and generations of, of uh, development, but that, you know, psychedelics, just even, for example, in the 30 years that the MDMA assisted psychotherapy research has been, or even longer that it exists, they've come a really long ways, you know, as far as the MDMA assisted psychotherapy trial and what they're accomplishing with people versus what people are doing, just, you know, tinkering around with the MDMA at a rave or with themselves, it's a big difference. You know, it's a really big difference. And so I think it's just, you know, it's just professional skills that people develop. You know, you don't go, you don't assume that you're going to learn enough Western medicine, you know, and a weekend workshop to go work at the emergency room. <laughs> you know, nobody would want you to do that. That would be considered like really, you know, ridiculous. And in the tradition where they are aware of what is possible when these people who have been studying for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from families that where they practice this, they know that it's a dramatic difference between somebody that just kind of is beginning and somebody that's 20 years into it. And so I think that's what people don't haven't had that much exposure. So I can't blame them, you know, to those kind of the, the more serious masters. And there's a lot of charlatans and there's a lot of fools mis misleading people and misguiding people. So I get the skepticism, but there is a real tradition out there that, that we should draw from and we can learn a lot of things from you know, as we try to uh, use these kind of medicines. And then you can see, wow, this, this, this clinical side of it, of what you can do, um, things you just haven't imagined. You know, They have not come into your consciousness. They haven't come into your world as far as how singing to another person in a ceremony like that, that you, what you might be able to achieve. Uh, let me, let me expand upon that because I think that's an important point for me. And, and I'll just sort of paint a picture for, for what ceremonies are like, uh, because I think it's important for people to kind of wrap their mind around it. As you say, you know, sing to people and, you know, um, fill in the gaps here, of, of course, um, cause I'm going to leave some stuff out, but in, in, uh, in the ceremonial setting, um, you know, people gather in, in a yurt, uh, in a structure where there are shaman or ash shaman and you take the tea, you drink the tea. Um, and then in, in my experience and the way that, that, that I've done it and both with you and with, with some other practitioners is, you know, there's this period of, of quiet, of meditation, of contemplation in the dark for, you know, sometimes 30, 45 to an hour to let the, um, to let the medicine kind of sink in. And then for the rest of the, ceremony which can last six eight longer i'm sure that you've you've gone longer than that there mm -hmm. is a series of ikaros songs i'm telling it's so weird ta telling a shaman how ayahuasca works but no it's not but like you said for everybody right so within this the rest of this ceremony within the rest of this process of the evening there are there is singing there is whistling there is uh, there is tobacco smoke that is blown um, as a as a as an uh, an an adjunct, an additional sort of healing property in this space. And these ikaros that that you sing are 
are healing in nature and also inspired by and and almost like channeled through these other plant properties, these other plant medicines that you have knowledge of. It's like if a doctor, if I met a doctor and we went into his office and he said, okay, um, I'm going to sing you the song of ibuprofen uh, for swelling. And he sings the song of ibuprofen and he said, now I'm going to sing you the song of of Arnica, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sing you this song of, uh, whatever, some, an antacid, yeah. you know, to sing, to sing that into me, to, for me, if, to activate something inside of me, to, to understand that this song is, is healing in nature. And, and that language, that, that song, that Icaro that you're singing is the, is the, uh, is the uh, psychotherapy? It is the assisted. It is the uh, the the assisted psychotherapy, in which you're you're uh, f- connecting with with me and connecting with my spiritual self and also with what's going on in my life. Um, and you and I have probably talked about it beforehand, so you kind of know, like, oh, I'm dealing with depression, or I'm dealing with IBS, or I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one, and then to go into that work, and then so for the rest of the night. Um, there, there's this purging that happens and, and purging, uh, is, 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 is a, is a physiological and also a spiritual, um, way to release and to let go of stuff of, of, of energy. And sometimes people vomit. Sometimes people have to go jump out to the outhouse. Uh, some people weep, some people yawn, some people sort of moan. And, and that's just part of the, the healing, um, in the process. And, uh, and and then ceremony is 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 closed out once every every person in the yurt has had some time to uh, be healed by the shaman, and uh, and then it closes out and 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 then you know t- in the traditional setting it's you know a day of uh, the next day of sort of contemplation or or, or journaling or thinking. Um, but I want to I want to highlight uh, the 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 spiritual with the medical, because I think that's really going to resonate with people. And I know, uh, after you've, uh, after you can fill in the gaps that I left out for sort of the ceremonial practice, um, I'd love for you to, um, go on about the sort of emotional body, uh, because I think that's a really fascinating thing that, that sure. you're bringing into the, into the world. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty good assessment. I mean, that's the basic, at least the ceremony that we, we're talking about, this traditional Shipibo ceremony style, and, and that's how we do it. And so, yeah, and so then the singing, the songs, and, and the medicine of those songs is like, so that's part of this tradition that is, you know, it's, it's very strange to us and hard to believe, and we haven't had a lot of experience with that. But then once you experience it, many, many people are touched by it. You know, it's not something that's like a culturally specific experience a lot of people would say oh you have to be from that culture to really feel that stuff but you know that's it's my experience that's not true that most people that go through the ceremony they do they're very um impressed and touched by the songs and the idea around the songs and the tradition is that yeah you're channeling through this form of training and this extended kind of communion with these plants the idea is that you're going to carry the medicine of those plants inside you and then channel that medicine out um, through the songs, through the egaros. And that in the one-on-one healing within the Shipibo tradition, then that's going to be part of a shamanic practice where you're going to try to do kind of a form of energy healing on the individual using the energy of those songs and, and following kind of 
actually like a, a process and a story that you're going to visualize through through ayahuasca visions. So that's kind of the basic part of that, and that's the kind of healing that's going on. And so then the way that for me that one of the big things I've been saying, going around talking about, is you know how does the science and the medicine connect to all this? And there's like a few basic things and. The things that I've been talking about, number one, are, are are first just reviewing the psychedelic research, clinical research that's out there, that there is now research to show that things like MDMA can be used in assisted psychotherapy to really make a big difference with PTSD, and psilocybin is making a big difference with uh, end-of-life anxiety within an, a therapeutic context, and there's a number of other studies that are, are, are exploring that in, in ayahuasca similarly research in brazil and other places is is looking very interesting for the treatment of anxiety and depression and addiction and so there's all that research to draw from as far as things that they're starting to investigate putting people in the mris or the cat scans or you know different kinds of forms of imaging especially what parts of the brain are being affected and how does that affect people's experience and so there's that body of research and then there's this body of research of mind body medicine research that I talk a lot about, and that's I got exposed to the fields of psychoneuroimmunology and psychoneuroendocrine immunology, which is basically mind-body connection, and how does the mind-body connection influence things like why are people who get who are depressed more prone to illness, more prone to getting viruses and being sick by them and getting coughs and colds and things like that? Why are people who are more stressed more likely to have high blood pressure and you know, it goes on and on. And so that whole research around stress and illness, that's really been fleshed out through this mind-body research. And so those are the two basics. I also get into epigenetics research, which is like a little bit further discussion. But if we just talk about those first two things, and just that this mind-body um, is kind of an accepted concept in Western medicine. So a lot of people have been talking about mind-body healing with alternative medicine with things like, let's say, floating or yoga or meditation that you would have kind of some stress relief and relaxation response in your physical body that would lead to improvements in the function of your immune system or your hormones or your inflammation, things like that. Your you know, heart rate variability and your autonomic nervous system and the way you breathe and the way you digest, all those things would improve potentially through mind-body healing. And then what I'm kind of like adding to it a little bit is that in the ayahuasca approach healing and this traditional Amazonian plant medicine approach and from a spiritual healing approach, we're seeing that people are going through their visions and through being treated uh, with Icaros and through their visceral experience with ayahuasca and then the diets and all the rest of it, that they're having this deep, profound emotional healing. And then that's what's leading to the mind-body improvement, you know that the deep emotional healing is what's calming down a lot of overactivity in their mind and calming down a lot of disruption in their physical body, whether it be headaches or, you know, irregular digestion or even skin problems, asthma, things like that, um, through this deep emotional healing. And so then it's like, okay, well, where is this emotional healing happening in the body, in the physical body? And so this idea about there being a, in a physical apparatus, the emotional body. And I'm saying, well, I think mind-body medicine has now described it. It is this network connecting your psychology and your brain 
to your nerves and your autonomic nervous system to certain parts of the immune system and the inflammatory response and certain parts of the hormone system that are known, for example, to be linked to, to stress, things like cortisol and adrenaline, but there's other hormonal considerations perhaps. And that's all related to your, that's all part of your emotional body, the physical part of your emotional body. So this psychoneuroendocrine immunologic network, PNEI network, which I'm calling the emotional body, we can show how emotional trauma causes disturbances in that body and that how emotional healing can cause alleviation of those disturbances in the body. So now we have a target for emotional healing and we can show that that emotional body is kind of what's bridging the mind body in the physical like it's that apparatus that you could say that's where your emotions are being expressed by that body you know when you when you blush and when your stomach rumbles when you're nervous <laughs> all that kind of stuff when you sweat in response to an emotional situation and then you know that the emotions themselves are experienced physically like that's how you know what you feel it's actually in the physical sense of your body you know the sensorium so then the emotional body is both the medium through which we feel and it's also there's not a more like conceptual thing and then if we think about it physically well it's the physical apparatus that that it experiences you know feelings in the kind of 3d whatever space-time continuum and and the way you feel things in your body and the way things that feel very meaningful to you are a lot of times because you have a strong feeling inside and you know it makes your heart race or gives you goosebumps and all that kind of stuff and um and so that's this that's this kind of physical part of the feeling and then that starts to open the door to a discussion about energy because we have mind body and now we have emotional body kind of like at the heart and with the heart central to this connection between mind and body and then this emotional experience that we have which we you know describe in feeling but which like most people would admit, like sometimes we don't know how else to talk about it, but we talk about it in terms of energy, of feeling energy. <clears throat> and and so a lot of other traditions talk about mind-body being paired, things like <clears throat> Ayurveda or Chinese medicine, and then the emotional body would be paired to the energy body. So some people have talked about how the emotional body, the way I've described it, certain parts of the endocrine system, for example, would be linked to the chakras in the in the kind of ayurvedic system and so that there would be some link between the energies and things that we've kind of experienced maybe more esoterically metaphysically that would touch down in our flesh through our emotional body and so people are you know they're moved and inspired and they hear you know beautiful music at a concert and you know their heart flutters and they have all kinds of experiences in their body in response to um, kind of the energy that's carried, uh, let's say, in this music, for example. But then also we know like in people's interactions with each other, a lot of emotional exchange happens and people feel energetic exchange happen. You know, they have a phone conversation with somebody and yet they, they really feel either they got a boost of energy or maybe they feel really depleted you know, after talking to somebody. So just to be able to talk about those kind of sensations and describe them in forms of energy. And so now we bring the shamanic spiritual kind of context to it that they're saying that 
we can interact with people energetically in a, in a healing, in a therapeutic way. And so then that, to me, that's the portal, is that you would have this energetic approach that would affect the person's emotional body, and then they, which is sensitive to this energetic kind of field, and then that would have more physical implications and more kind of concrete implications affecting things like the way their their brain is functioning and their neural networks, and then also just their you know their blood pressure and their heart rate and their hormones and inflammation in their system would all be accessible through that kind of approach. So that would be kind of how – so mind-body medicine doesn't become just about like you know calming down, but it actually becomes about tuning in yeah. to some kind of energy that's accessible you know, uh, from from a, a more you know, uh, what some people would consider a divine source. Yeah. That this is ooh, that's high, high level stuff, man. <laughs> and, uh, our, our listeners can 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 handle it too, and I want to get into epigenetics a little bit too because they can they can keep up. But I think it's um, I think it's important to note that that these theories of you know reductionist materialistic chemical reactions in your brain that make you feel this way or that way, like you're getting into uh, you're bridging that gap between uh, what what the Chinese, what Chinese medicine has known for a long time and what Ayurveda has known for a long time and what, uh, you know, um, sh- um, Amazonian, uh, shamanic work has known for a long time, which is that there is this connection between how we feel and how we are, how we feel and how we, uh, how we think. And this, uh, this intertwining of, of all of these parts of our, of who, of who we are. And some of us are more susceptible to, to outside influence and, and that can affect us. It can make us sick. It can make us, um, it can make us angry, you know, and, and what we put into our body and how we treat ourselves is all tied into the mind body connection and also into the emotional and spiritual connection. Um, you know, and, and as you were talking, I was thinking of like the concept of like the flow state, you know, and, and, right. um, how, tell me, do you, do you, you pay much attention or think much about sort of the flow state and how does that tie in? Well, I think flow state. I mean, I don't. I'm not an expert of like what people have been talking about flow state. I'm aware that people are talking about flow state and it's kind of entering, kind of the whatever lexicon and stuff. And so I think it's just like it's that extra little piece, the flow state where, you know, people would feel connected. You know, they would feel in union with. Uh, like it doesn't require a lot of thought to kind of a state of being right? That they're in this state of being where everything just kind of flows. So let's say in sports or athletics or something like that, where people feel like they come into that kind of consciousness a lot. But there's like this extra little piece that maybe we don't, it is talked about, but that in that state that people feel inspired and that people find themselves doing things they didn't know they could do, you know, and that people are trying to you know, performance stuff, especially in the world of athletics, you know, where there's all this money involved and they're trying to like promote, you know, people, people's like supernatural abilities as much as possible, you know, getting these guys to catch a ball in this crazy, you know, way that just like going to watch the instant replay over and over again because you can't believe somebody just did that yeah, and have that kind of presence of mind. Um, <clears throat> and so trying to encourage that, but then 
this idea that like okay people are able to do that and it's not just about calming everything down but it also seems to be about like the connection that it opens and that people are somehow are connected in a tangible way to something beyond themselves right that allows them and that's that's a part that's kind of like it's kind of this frontier of like if we just keep things like purely secular you know it's just like okay it's all secular we don't have to talk about any kind of supernatural energy you know or what we would consider supernatural energy just like okay just calm everything down and just tune in and, and go for the flow but then people seem to have this experience. So many people describe an experience where they feel like inspired and they seem to be getting energy from beyond themselves, you know, and that's just a classic thing that people have been describing for millennia. And so that's one thing that I, I think is kind of interesting is this idea of like opening a door to a connection um, that is a profound connection, you know to whatever it is, the quantum physical field or whatever people want to describe. And that, that the way that becomes important in the world of emotional healing and, and, and spiritual healing is that, as a friend of mine describes it from kind of an alchemical like school of thought, I think, but it kind of, she kind of like mixed into some of her Buddhist teachings that she was sharing with me, is things like gratitude, you know, they would they would talk about gratitude as being like tuning into a higher dimensional energy. And that from that access to that frequency that people would be able to shift things and change things, yeah. you know, and that love would be the same kind of thing. That self-love and love and this kind of acceptance at this level of um you know, just pure being, the acceptance of all things as they are without reservation, you know, in a pure being acceptance that they would be tuned in and connected in a flow state to something beyond themselves. And um, similarly, forgiveness, like giving people those kind of capacities sometimes and uh, compassion as well. That compassion is kind of like opening your heart to the world and there's, yeah, there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of negativity there, but there's also kind of a freedom there. And so, I don't know, to me, it's, it's important because a lot of those things, like because of people in the, I don't know, the New Age movement or whatever you want to call it, the new movements, it's like they've been, again, kind of like counterculture-ish. And so, some of the stuff that's come down through religion, like a lot of people, we've been kind of avoiding it. But that there might be some wisdom, you know, in, in the kind of uh, deep discussion that's happened in, like, for example, Judeo-Christian philosophy around forgiveness, around compassion, around gratitude, around love. Similarly, you know, the Buddhists and the Dalai Lama, you know, talking about these kind of things in a lot of cultures and Muslim and, you know, everybody's talking about stuff like this and the power that that stuff can have on the individual and that those would be potentially examples of flow state yeah you know and ways for people to flow not just through their work day or through their you know athletic performance but through like a very emotionally difficult experience yeah yeah i mean for 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 my my role as a as a as a coach and a performance coach and um you know there's starting with gratitude just as a uh, from the base level um being thankful 
being thankful for just being alive is is something so simple and also so powerful because it activates, it activates so much more inside of your body. And there's good research that supports that people who have a gratitude practice, which is basically waking up and thinking of one to three things that you're grateful for, that you're thankful for in your life. Like, Oh, I have a bed. Oh, uh, my heat works. Oh, I have something to eat. Uh, or, you know, um, a, a redeeming relationship, like starting your day with, a, with gratitude, um, heightens your immunity, um, and allows you to have deeper relationships, uh, improves your quality of life, uh, helps you live longer. And these sorts of things, um, may sound hokey for some people, but are instrumental in, in performance in, in your exactly. life and living a quality of life where, you're 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 tuned in you're paying attention and you're right and and you're not just you're not just going through the motions and i think for for a lot of our listeners too um th- understanding that all of this stuff is connected um and the connection that you've made in your book um and is 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 profound because it it not only does it is it written wonderfully and tells tells great stories but also makes these important connections where where up until now i i haven't really seen in other places can you um well that was the kind of the the goal because you know it's like i gave my little spiel and you're like whoa that's pretty high level or you know i mean i don't know what it sounds like to other people when i like, <laughs> just say all that stuff but the point of the book is is to kind of explain those same ideas in stories, you know, in right. a bunch of stories of like real people talking about their real life and how it influenced them. And, and again, as we try to figure out like how all this stuff fits and, you know, how does flow state or, you know, performance uh, enhancement, you know, mix with spirituality and, you know, how do we combine it? And to me, it's just health, you know, health is like the basic functioning of the flesh, and and so like that's how we can kind of make sense of this stuff and figure out like why in other words okay forgiveness and compassion and and gratitude and all that you know it sounds hokey or people are just trying to be more chipper at work or something <laughs> but it's it's like no it's like it's because like at the core of their health like these are things that are like from a wisdom perspective actually beneficial you know, to the, obviously to the quality of their life and their mental health, but it would go as far as the physical health as well. You know, that you'd have a better chance of fighting disease, a better chance of having less flare-ups of some maybe tendency that you have. You know, maybe you have a tendency towards this kind of health problem, you know, some digestive problem, but it's not always there. But sometimes it's there, but when you're stressed, it's a lot worse, you know. And people have flares of skin problems when they're stressed or flares of asthma when they're stressed or flares of migraines when they're stressed or whatever, flares of addiction when they're stressed. And so people are trying to get like more uh, handle on those things and get kind of a leg up on those kind of problems, realizing that there's a lot of resiliency that they can develop in themselves and just that we haven't really been talking about maybe in the Western medical system as much the importance of their emotional well-being in contributing that to that resiliency, you know? Yeah. Um, I think people, you know, maybe in, maybe in sports or whatever, it's just been seen as like, yeah, it's probably better to be angry, you know, to, to perform at a high level. But then you see these people transcend that and heal past that and still perform 
at a high level, you know, and you see these kind of martial arts traditions that we hear about and these Shaolin Kung Fu and, you know, able to do things um, beyond their normal capacity by finding like deep spiritual well-being. And so just the benefits of, of deep spiritual well-being on the physical health, you know, is really the focus and letting that be kind of a guide around the value of spiritual practice. In other words, you don't, you're not going to just necessarily follow a spiritual practice because of the dogma of some political organization or some religious organization. But you could really like kind of measure it or look at it as like, wow, you know, these people's belief systems, it's like closing their minds and it's closing their hearts in such a kind of non-flow way that you can see how it's compromising their health, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that that's why meditation is popular, you know, and becoming more and more and more normalized, you know, and it's funny, you know, for, for somebody like me who's meditated for a long time and owns float centers, you know, talking about meditation is, 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 is non-dogmatic. It's as secular as it comes. It is, it is just a practice of observing the breath. But for some people, just the term meditation is still too far out there. So they've adapted it and now it's mindfulness. Right. And they've made it more digestible for people. And, and maybe that's the path that, that's required. But it, you know, it sort of begs the question for you, Joe, you know, as as your with your experience um on both both ends for people that can't uh necessarily uh head to Iquitos to Nue Rao to do uh to do ceremonies, uh what are some things that people can do on their own? Um, to help uh, nourish or heal or develop this uh, this emotional body that you talk about, right? And so that's 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 kind of like the real crux of the book and the goal of what the book was about. And and so you know, as we've talked about, and you know, I try to review, like basically, you know, the last chapter of the book is called the role of spiritual healing in, in modern healthcare. In other words, like why. Would this stuff be useful or important in modern medicine and people's attitudes towards health? And so what is the deal? And so I have this last segment of the book where I open it up with, you know, in, ad- in addition to introducing me to shamanic practice, the plants and the people of the Amazon rainforest taught me that, number one, in order to heal emotionally and spiritually, one must overcome rigid and narrow thinking, which closes our mind to our hearts. And so now they've gotten like the research, neuroscientific research showing all oh, this default mode network and this, this part of the brain, the way it functions when it's overactive and people have all this ruminating thought that's very independent from the world around them and independent from what they're feeling inside their bodies and their hearts and their emotions that they get caught up in this kind of narrow, rigid thinking that is very common in people who are depressed and people who are anxious and people have PTSD and people who are addicts. So finding the things that are going to help open your mind, you know, and and calm that kind of egoic overthinking mind is going to help you to reconnect to your senses and also to help you to open yourself to what's inside in your feeling and in your heart to figure out what it is that might be bothering you, you know, at a visceral level and reconnecting to your to your body and your feelings. And so there's a lot of, you know, meditation is is one of the things that's been studied the most as far as its impact on the default mode network and that kind of thinking in your brain. So meditation is a very powerful way to do it. But then any, you know, you kind of have to, it appears that, although we haven't really done the research, that things like float would do the very similar kind of thing. And and probably a number of spiritual practices probably also help people get to that same place. You know, whether it's yoga or a contemplative prayer 
or um, you know walking, and now they're looking at like right. for, forest bathing. You know, this yeah. Japanese study that came out that it was actually reviewed and in, interesting listening to Ayahuasca, the book by Rachel Harris, who's a good friend of mine. And, you know, she has a whole segment on that of this Japanese research showing just going and sitting by trees is doing this for people, hmm. you know. So then the second point I make is like once we open our minds to our hearts, we regain access to our feelings and senses and we become more aware of what needs to be healed in the emotional body. So this P&I network that I've been describing, prior emotional traumas, unresolved emotional processes. So then we see that maybe some of these emotional unresolved emotional issues inside of us they they come kind of to the forefront you right. know that's what happens to a lot of people in the ayahuasca ceremonies and maybe in a float situation you know where they no longer they just it just becomes harder and harder and meditation retreats you know it does happen as well when people have these vipassana retreats where they do 10 days of quiet meditation and all of a sudden you know these things come forward and they start realizing hey you know this is the energy that i need to move Right. This is the energy that's trapped inside me, some emotional experiences I have that is kind of stuck. And so I need to figure out how to to get it to flow again. Well, and it goes back to that point. Like what what do I need to let go of? Like what is, what is this – what's this thing that I've been hanging on to that's no longer serving my higher purpose, that's no longer like helping me at all? This episode right. from my childhood, like, oh, if I – it's really if I release this thing, if I let this go, if I forgive this person for this transgression or whatever from way back, like the, I actually like release myself and some some that that baggage that I've been carrying around for such a long time can release and the opposite too, right? Like um, in a in a meditate in a vipassana retreat or in a in a flotation therapy session or sitting by a tree and just sort of like chilling out spacing out you realize oh i need to i need to have some more love in my life like i need i need to right. i need some romantic love i need some passion i need to i need right. to love i need to love my partner more i need to be more present for my kids like that those sorts of things those sorts of breakthroughs that that come from these fundamental practices like forest bathing or walking or journaling or whatever like it all plays a part into to heal that that portion of ourselves that's just gummed us up and got us all sticky exactly so that's the part you know so then that's that and so then then i i so then i call that gummed up part that sticky part i'm saying unresolved stress and emotional trauma accumulate in the emotional body you know and this manifests as then i throw this concept allostatic load in the pni network so these are just science terms which are just basically describing stress, wear, and tear that we can actually locate, you know, in the emotional body and show how certain measures, certain cortisol levels are disturbed and certain, you know, autonomic nerve stuff like heart rate variability and things like that, how they show, they demonstrate this gummed up muckness, this stress, wear, and tear that you're talking about that's in there that's kind of disrupting the way our physical bodies function and are kind of rooted in, in this emotional stuff. So then I say the energies and dynamic physiologic processes connected to unresolved stress and emotional trauma underlie what is traditionally described as spiritual illness. Yeah. You know, so this is what Ricardo Amaringo, the two people that I work with, you know, or I always bring it up that in the 80s, I feel like I would hear it more often, you know, uh, the term like people being feeling soul sick. Yeah. You know. And now it seems like the, the society has become so soul sick <laughs> that no one really notices the difference. Right. 
And I feel like that was about the transition for me in America was like 70s into 80s where the 70s like it was still kind of this you know the movies there's like some blue collar themes are just about regular people but they were kind of dignified and and then my and my friend brought up the point because i was like yeah all of a sudden all the tv shows and everything became about office space you know and he's like well that's probably what happened is most of the jobs moved into these office buildings and stuff somewhere in that transition it seems like just i don't know to me it's just something i noticed that people just don't they're less in touch with that, you know? Like, I'm, what does it mean to feel soul sick? And what does it mean to feel soul well? And a, a lot of people seem like they don't really know where to begin with that. Well, I, you, totally. And, and what, 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 what I'm finding and what I think is, is, is plain for everybody to see is as we uh, separate ourselves from our own natural habitats, as we go inside as we stare at blue glowing screens for seven hours a day and um, don't don't pay attention to our circadian rhythms and don't live like in, in harmony with sort of the natural cycles that we have for uh, since the beginning of time. Now right. we have this phenomenon of this detachment from from the natural, from seasonality, from you know six you know cycles from from each other. You know as we turn turn more toward right. toward um, validation from you know um, uh, avatars, likes. Yeah. exactly right. Like that, the, soul soul sick. That is that is yeah. soul sick. That is the so definition. So that's what. So that's so what what uh Amaladoma Somme, the African shaman, is a great writer, cool guy, a very brilliant man. That's what he talks about, and I haven't mentioned it in my book. He talks about like, you know, three things that he sees the Western person disconnected from that he finds that if you just reconnect them to that, you see just rapid response. And it's like nature is the first one. <clears throat> the second one is community, and the third one is, you know, some kind of spirit or mystical access. And in his case to ritual. But, you know, that's what we see people going down a new way route and all of a sudden they're in nature and they're in this healing community. And then you bring the spirit into it through the ceremony and people just start having these really rapid like two or three days. They're like, oh, my God, you know, they feel stuff they haven't felt their whole life. Right. And so it's just so so healing retreat in nature is also very powerful. And so there's more of that as a doctor, I would say there needs to be more of that. Because as a doctor who sees people all 15 minutes, 20 minutes and trying to like help address their problems, it's just nothing compared to like what you can achieve in a retreat. Right. So I think for doing healing work, like a retreat is very useful, giving people a chance to kind of reevaluate their lives and then doing it in nature. So I think just that alone, that service without, you know, it could be float, it could be uh, meditation, like forget about ayahuasca. If you just had that, like if people were going into regular nature retreats. Um, it would be very beneficial, and that's what the forest bathing research is showing. So, you know, that's what I was saying. So, describe a spiritual illness. So, when Ricardo, a Shipibo shaman from the forest or from a forest community, uh, you know, meets somebody like this, he's just like, yeah, they're they're soul sick. Hmm. You know, they're spiritually ill. That's what that problem. And so then he's gonna want to address it energetically. You know, we got to clean out those energies, these unresolved, sticky, gummy energies that you're talking about. Like, we need to find a way to let that stuff go, right? So you, obviously you can try to let it go through prolonged meditation, but then with an ayahuasca ceremony, there's sometimes it does facilitate 
although in an aggressive and sometimes difficult way, you know, letting that stuff go a little more rapidly or at least giving you a pathway, a roadmap to letting that stuff go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I can speak to it, um, personally that I've had, um, I've as a, as a daily meditator and have been for, you know, almost 20 years, um, and 600 or so hours in a float tank, like I still have deep work that I need to do. I have a gratitude practice, you know, I have, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty happy guy, but, but, but I still have things that I'm holding on to, and my experience with, with you in ceremony and, and my experience with the plant medicines, uh, overall have allowed me to go even deeper, have allowed me to go, um, further back in my time to open my eyes to things that I need to let go of, open my eyes to things that I, that I'm doing great, you know, reinforcing like, Hey, you're the, the fact that dude, the fact that just this inner knowing the fact that I'm exercising, the fact that I'm, that I'm working and in, and doing things that I'm passionate about, like way to go, bud, keep that stuff up. But I need, right. I get that validation. I get that sort of self-talk or whatever in, inspired, um, uh, consciousness, I get that sort of download when I, when I do these ceremonies and, and it's, and it's transformative. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's some of the, it's some of the deepest work. It is the deepest work that, that, that I do. Um, yeah. And so then that's the, so then we get into the, you know, cause first we get into the discussion of like, okay, you know, what are other ways to do this stuff that we find is so important and useful to heal this way. And so we've been describing some of those pathways and, you know, just love and community and, you know, just taking the time to address your relationships, you know, it's like, it's so powerful. Um, you know, not just talking to a therapist about it, but talking to the real person, you know, like talking to your mom and your dad or your brother or whatever it is, your child, you know, really kind of living that stuff. And, um, you know, these different pathways and, that being said, then okay, yeah, then spiritual plant medicine, which right now ayahuasca is is largely illegal. There's a couple pathways for it to be legal in this through this church protection, and, and that's kind of expanding. People are trying to expand that from these Brazilian church uh, case, the main case that happened in 2006 in the Supreme Court. But then, you know, that's the thing because I did a transformational breathing workshop recently as part of ayahuasca healing retreat, and you know, we all got a lot out of that, and that was also a very powerful thing that was very much like in the emotional body and through breath work and people were having big releases and big catharsis and big healings akin to what they were having in the ceremonies with ayahuasca and so we were talking about okay yeah you know um you could just do breath workshops that's fine do breath workshops maybe that's enough for you maybe that's all you need and then but in this particular weekend we were going to also do ayahuasca um so it's like well we're going to do ayahuasca anyways and so what can we say about the ceremonies and what can we say about what you might get from that? So I was like, you know, transformational breathing, amazing what you can do with your own body and all the worlds that opens up and connecting people to kind of a source experience. But I said, you know, with, with ayahuasca and maybe the plant medicines and what they bring to the picture is just is, is, is guidance through nature, you know, is you're going to open this access to this this guidance experience that so many people have in, in like a properly run ayahuasca ceremony where the nature and the plants and this earth, you know, are going to give you a, a, a little bit more to draw from. There's the earth and calling you right now. This earth there just called me. Hello, <laughs> earth. <laughs> uh, you know, but to 
to guide you a little bit through that process, you know, and to help you in a way that, yeah, it is very mysterious and very special um, the way ayahuasca can do that for people. And so, it, you know, every different pathway, every different uh, technique and approach, you know, very valuable, but then each one also having its kind of special gifts as well. And so then the plant spirit medicine and, you know, properly run ayahuasca ceremony, having this amazing potential to help people kind of catch up and get them back on track, you know, in a society that's kind of far gone, as we've been saying, like when it's so soul sick and people are just don't know where to begin, you know, it's like, well, sometimes you need something a little more strong, a little more heavy hitting to kind of get people on track and boost them up to where they could kind of reexamine their culture and their society and their family and their relationships. And so ayahuasca, you know, does help contribute to that. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a space for it. There's absolutely mm-hmm. a space for it. And, uh, I, I'm, it's, I feel, I feel very fortunate to have, um, engaged with it, you know, as many times as I have, because, um, uh, it's clear that it's making its way into the Western, um, collective consciousness and for good reason. And, um, well, Joe, tell us tell us where people can find you i mean um you're yeah you're, you're a busy guy but um how can people you know i also know that you're that you're working on a that you're working on a project so can you tell us a little bit about um the yeah. effort that you're making now and how people can uh hook up with you yeah so we got the book you know that's available fellowship of the river is available through through amazon and um an audiobook and- an audiobook is now available on the Kindle as well. So it's all those formats and the audiobook is going to be, it's on, it's on, it's on Audible and Amazon, but I think also through iTunes, it's, it's accessible. And, um, so there's that. And then I am working on a, a research project that's kind of inspired by the work of the book, which is this final piece, the epigenetics piece that we didn't really get into so much, but it's this idea of like, well, where does this sticky gummy energy you know, from this emotional trauma and unresolved stuff, where does it sit in the physical body? And there's some evidence to show that it seems like some of that is going to sit in this kind of epigenetic programming that affects the way our genes are expressed. And the shows it's linked to how childhood trauma could kind of stay with you throughout the course of your life and affect the way your body works. And there's evidence to show that you could heal some of that programming. And the kind of healing that happens around that programming that's been observed in psychotherapy and meditation and and uh, even through antidepressants looks a lot like the kind of healing people are getting um, through things like ayahuasca healing ceremonies and retreats. So we're trying to do uh, collect saliva samples on people coming through those retreats and we also want to collect saliva samples on people going through the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy trials in the United States to try to show how some of this deep emotional healing can actually shift something biochemically in your body and lead to lasting change. And so that's being done through Modern Spirit. It's called Modern Spirit is uh, the name of the nonprofit. Modernspirit.org is the website that is describing, and there needs to be updated right now to describe the new study, which is just getting started. We've got three ayahuasca healing centers interested, and then we have the MAPS research people also interested. So we're raising money to just start out initially with just collecting saliva samples and uh, some other data and then we'll need more money eventually to run the uh, the lab work on the epigenetics and trying to look at the actual way that stuff affects your DNA 
And so that's happening right now. And then Modern Spirit is also trying to do educational programs. You know, these these talks and lectures that I've been doing are, are linked to that work. And we want to get involved in maybe educating people about forest bathing, you know, just nature retreats and other topics. And then there's a there's a podcast. We have a couple episodes. We do some more episodes interviewing people who've been as a doctor and someone who's trained in, in this kind of shamanism, interviewing people who've had some really miraculous kind of spiritual healing experiences and just trying to learn about that and share about that. Um, with people so maybe we don't have enough data to make you know statistical uh declarations you know but we still want people to learn about what's out there and what's possible and try to gain some knowledge from these anecdotes so that's what i'm working on and, and it's also drjotifer.com those are the two websites drjotifer.com and modernspirit.org kind of describe my activities excellent Wonderful. Can people also find you on Facebook or Twitter? I'm on Facebook, yeah. I don't, I don't have a Twitter yet. Maybe I need to start tweeting. So I'm on the verge. It will, kidding. It will go, down the, it'll go down the rabbit hole quick, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it, I guess. You Twitter's need the Facebook, you need the Twitter, and then yeah. I guess that's, that's probably enough for me right there. Well, Joe, thank you so much for, for, for joining for this conversation today. Um, it's, I, I know that our listeners are going to really resonate and, and dig into this stuff. And this is a cool additional content that, um, that, that people just really can't get anywhere else. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I encourage everyone to check out the book and, and let me know what they think. Right on. Thanks, thank Joe. You. All right, thank you.